from the brightly lit studios of the Public Media Center at PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another illuminating episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks You Bet Your Garden. I'm your brightly lit host, Mike McGrath. Coming up on today's show, the next installment of our successful series on successful seed starting. Let there be light, real light, not the dappled darkness you were hoping to get away with. Other than that, yes, we'll take that heap and helping of your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and bombastically bellicose beatifications. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you having a room that's light years away right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of What Are We This Week? The Public Media Center at PBS 39. Probably won't keep that name for long, cats and kittens, so either remember it or forget about it. It's your choice. Coming up later in the show, part three of our Seed Starting Spectacular where we will yell at you in an attempt to get you to use bright light to start your seedlings short and stocky the way they should be, as opposed to looking like Wilt Chamberlain on a diet. But before that, many of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492. I'm a little goofy today, kids. 888-492-9444. Amelia, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Amelia. How are you? I'm fine, but I do have a question for you, a big question. I have a big question for you. Where are you? I live in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania, which is in Berks County. It's a suburb of Reading. That's where Taylor Swift lived for her first That's right. 14, 16 years. Uh, my dear friend from my days at Marvel Comics, Jim Steranko also lives in Why I'm Missing, and one of my mm-hmm. favorite artists of all time. Anyway, right. all right, that's enough of the Chamber of Commerce. What can we do you for? <laughs> well, I think it is relevant. Of course, I have lived in this house uh, since 1984, which is 37 years. Mm-hmm. And over that time, my husband and I uh, developed uh, and also had helped to develop a very attractive, natural, and perennial garden. Okay. And these beds actually surround our entire property. And uh, as an aside, there is a fence around the entire back garden. My special interest is hostas. Oh, so do the deer. That's like the small plates at a good restaurant. Well, listen. That's got to be your problem. 1984, we have never had a problem. Okay. Not one sighting of deer anywhere. I just never even thought of it right. as a possibility. It never, never occurred to me. This is a very residential area <laughs> where we live, and there are no open lots. It's, it, houses are pretty close to each other. 
there's no field right near us. But they got you this year. Uh, right. At the end of September, uh, I had a visitor, and so has the entire block. Mm-hmm. Many of the people here do have gardens, very nice gardens, with hostas and other ornamentals. So they got you this year, huh? Right. Not until the season was almost over in September. Mm-hmm. Well, they're very and, active in the spring and the fall because uh, uh-huh. they, they can't hibernate. So they're trying to put on as much weight as they can because when it snows, uh, food for deer is difficult to find. But I want to go back to your thing about, oh, we're a residential community. There's not a lot of room between houses. They walk up people's driveways and start eating the vinyl off their car. I mean, mm-hmm. deer, uh, my first job after, after college was as a park ranger in uh, the Fairmount Park System in Philadelphia. And we were out in northeast Philly at the Vere Road Environmental Center. And we actually did a little citizen science study And we found that the closer you got to people's homes, the deer were anywhere from 10% to 20% larger. They were significantly healthier, and they had developed street smarts. So a deer in a suburban community is much more of a threat than a deer in the woods. Well, I have to agree with that. And I was so upset because when I saw one standing right in the middle of my back garden, Mm -hmm. uh, I was super upset. I didn't think they went into enclosed places (laughs) like that. (laughs) I was uh, told that it's a a long-standing problem in the borough with no solution. Yeah. And... The problem is the size of our park area, where they do live and breed, is uh, not much more than, I think, 350 acres. Okay. Um, You said you have a fence in the back. How tall is the fence? Yeah. It's just an ordinary split rail fence, but I still thought that would be something which would kind of inhibit their activity. Oh, God, no, that, that would probably be much too low. They can leap six feet without any kind of oh, trouble. Oh, I understand that, Mike, but I guess my question revolves around the fact that the borough commissioner basically said the, that the Pennsylvania Game Commission had no practical solution for this. No, no, nobody does. They are, uh, they are not native deer. They were imported here um, many years ago after hunters had killed off all of the Pennsylvania deer. These are Virginia whitetails that were brought here on trains. Mated pairs were kicked off at every stop, and that was to replenish the supply for the hunters. Being non-native, they tended to thrive. Now, um, the only true solution to deer is an eight-foot-tall invisible deer fence. Um, And it is invisible. It's made of a green wire mesh, and you can't see it unless you look at it from the correct angle. So Is that an electrical fence? Nope, nope, nope. It's just too tall for them to jump over. Uh Uh-huh. Who would install such a fence? uh, People who install deer fencing. It's a huge business. 
Is that like a landscaper or a... Um, no, there are special companies. All you have to do, go online and type deer fencing. Uh, okay. Or invisible deer fence. Anyway. Okay. Um, your spraying is not an option to make the plants taste bad. I'm going to drop back to a product I haven't spoken about for years, uh, but that was, has always worked for me. It is called, and you might want to write this down in case you don't remember it. Okay, I'm ready. It is called the wireless deer fence. Okay, what it is is you buy a set of, they come in sets of three. They're stakes that go into the ground. They're not very tall, and they have a bulging component in the middle that you put uh, two AA batteries into. Uh, before you put the batteries in, however, they come with scent pellets that attract deer. So you put mm -hmm. a scent pellet on top, you put the batteries in, and you put it around the plants that they have eaten in the past. The deer, mm -hmm. will, the deer will come into your garden, they'll lick the top of the scent pellet, and they'll get uh, a low-voltage electric shock, and they will run away and eat the neighbor's azaleas. <sighs> So you can buy as few or as many as you want. Um, they are still produced and sold by the original inventor, I believe, out of his garage, I believe in Ohio. I've used these things for many, many years. And when you can't do a fence, you can use this to protect certain um, areas of your home. Now, mm -hmm. the bonus round is if you put these things out in mass, in the spring, the new deer, the young deer, will come, and they'll get a shock, and then they'll make an imprint of your property. And when they walk onto your property again, they will recognize that this is where they got that shock, and they'll go someplace else. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a wonderful invention, the wireless deer fence. You could look it up. Uh-huh. This is such a residential area. Yeah. I feel that there is a safety issue. Hundreds of people are killed every year in Pennsylvania by deer yeah. collisions. And that doesn't count the people who didn't die or the incredible damage to cars. This is a problem that people have wrestled with for 50 years. You're not going to find an easy solution, but the goal is to protect your plants. So get a mm -hmm. couple of these wireless deer fence stakes, put them all over your property in the spring, and I think that's your uh -huh. best bet. Okay. Thank you very much. I'll give it a try. All right. Good luck to you. Bye-bye. 888-492-9444. Alan, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Mike, good to speak with you. Good to speak with you, Alan. How are you doing? Oh, I'm always doing fine. Uh, where is Alan doing fine? Uh, Eastern PA. All right. What can we possibly do for you? Uh, here's, here's my uh, real problem. Um, first of all, my dog died. Uh, I'm sorry. She was around. Yeah, well, she was a good dog. Unfortunately, she suffered. But I never used chemicals right. when she was around. Gotcha. I have two fences. I have a chain link, and then I put a supplemental fence all around the bottom. Mm -hmm. But I have grass in between the two. Right. And I, I could never remove the grass uh, physically, and it grew high and whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, my wonderment is, is there something non-chemical, I, I hate chemicals, is there something I can spray, some way I can kill that grass between the two fences so hopefully when I get a new uh, canine companion, uh, 
the grass and the dog will be fine. Um, hmm. may, may I ask how old your dog was? Uh, ten years, unfortunately. 10. Okay. Well, you know, um, a lot of things can happen. I mean, that's the that's the downside of having pets is we're going to outlive mm. them. So um, right. I've had a hard time dealing with it. I don't know about other people, and I don't have any advice for that. But I do have a big question for you. Why do you feel the need to do anything? Well, it it, it makes my fence uh, in the, the surrounding um, area of my yard look sloppy with the high grass growing through the two uh, the fence pieces. Uh, um, Which... that, that, that's my... Uh, which fence? That's my real concern. Which fence is on the inside of your property? Uh, the the supplemental. I have a, a, a um, maybe a rectangular uh, uh, type um, fence against the chain link. So there's no, no wait way, a minute. Uh, wait know, a minute. What kind? Of, is it a wood fence? Uh, no, it's a chain link, and this is a um, another type of metal. Um, okay. Maybe a livestock type fencing. Oh, I got, I got you. Boy, if only it was a wooden fence, like a slatted fence, then mm. between the fence and the tall grasses, you wouldn't see the chain link fence. Right, right. That, that's not what I have. So, but um, you know what I've mm. seen lately, and I haven't mentioned it on the show previously, is uh, they're selling these. Uh, fake screening plants they're on a roll and they expand out to like six or ten feet long and it looks like ivy but it's fake and mm -hmm. you could hang that on the interior fence and then again you would you'd only see the top of any grasses and right. in the meantime those grasses will host lots of beneficial insects Nothing bad will happen. Now, if you feel the absolute need to do anything about it, access is going to be brutal. But there is a non-toxic herbicide, came out about 10 years ago, uh, based on iron. And, um, iron. Yeah. Gardens Alive. Like I-R-O-N. I-R-O-N. I wish I could call mm. up the periodic table number. But um, Gardens Alive introduced it many years ago as Iron X. And now I see it all over the place in independent garden centers under other names. What you want to look for is um, sometimes they don't say iron. They say something like HD, I think it's TE. But go to the periodic table and see what the symbols are for iron. And iron will uh, kill any broadleaf plant. Now, grasses aren't broadleaf plants, but if you, they get high, they kind of qualify. So you could spray mm -hmm. this through the fence and it wouldn't bother anybody. And then I would suggest you have uh, a big load of arborist wood chips delivered. That's not dyed mulch that's the color of a Burger King or anything like that. This is from tree trimming right. crews. And you find somebody to help you you know, hoist it over and cover the area in between the fences. And I think that's your, that's an easy solution. But even though you already have two, if it's not too big an area, especially the area you look at all the time, I would put up some uh, solid wood fencing. 
and that that would take care of everything right there. Yeah, that is that is an option. I, I think the spray would be uh, better to to try. I'll just, I'll check. Uh, no, I would go to a good garden center for yeah. something like this, and they'll know what you're okay. talking about. Ask them for a broadleaf herbicide whose active ingredient is iron. Right. Okay. All right. I'm still looking for a dog. And, okay. Um, what was the old one? Anxious to listen to you on uh, when she was a corgi. Oh, uh, okay. Corgi mix. Uh, so a tiny. A dog. rescue. Well, uh, medium size, but uh, uh, heart uh, fill house. So. What did Ron Whatever. say uh, on uh, Parks and Rec, the TV show? Any dog that weighs less than 70 pounds is a cat. And cats are useless. <laughs> I agree with that second part. But All right. I'd, I'd love cats as long as they're cooked properly. Yeah. Oh. I hope the kitties weren't listening. Bye-bye, no, Alan. Bye-bye. All right. <laughs> Take care, man. Good to talk to you, Mike. Bye-bye. God bless you. Bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind all of you that my first Zoom appearance for the season will be a presentation for the affiliated affiliates of the Chester County something or other about lawn care on February 24th at 7 p.m. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet because we'll be right back with more tips on successful seed starting and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to a brand new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Public Media Center at PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of What Are We This Week? The Public Media Center at PBS 39. Soon to change its name yet again. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later, we'll talk about the importance of really bright light uh, to get seedlings off to a great start and to overwinter plants that you want to keep from year to year and the new game changer, the deformable garage LED lights. Um that solved so many problems. In the meantime, let's solve some of your problems at 888-492-9444. 888-492-9444. Michael, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being had, Michael. Um, where are you, Michael? Well, right now I'm in Wilmington, Delaware, but uh, my question pertains to uh, uh, a piece of property we bought in uh, the Allegheny Highlands in Virginia. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Um, all right. Tell us your story, man. Well, uh, my wife and I bought the land. Um, uh, it's 25 acres. We bought it last year, and it was a pretty tumultuous time, uh, but it, it was a good deal, and it's near uh, a family property uh, down there. So um, our hope is to at some point do some kind of uh homesteading or, or develop the land to, 
to work it in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we love to use it as vacation, but um, when I when I started to investigate the soil um, and really look deep, deeper into what the land might be useful for, um, we found that it, it's really it's mostly clay and shale. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go down about an inch, and it's it's just not a whole lot there. Um, and the surrounding farms, they, they all seem to have cattle and livestock, uh, which is something we might be interested in. Um, but I'd really love to grow something there, and I, I'd like to see if uh, the land would produce it all. But, um, you know, I, I, I've searched the Internet. I've, I've seen people like Mike uh, or Mark Shepard. Um, he talks about permaculture. And uh, Laura Ingham, she she uh, she talks about soil regeneration and the use of nematodes and um, you know irrigation in, in certain ways that you can really build the soil health. But with about four acres, uh, maybe six acres of really useful pasture land mm-hmm. with a nice big south-facing hill. Um, I wonder if there's anything we can do as far as growing and producing uh, a crop of any kind other than grass. Um, I, my idea was maybe terrace farming yes, or, or at least building raised beds in terraces. And yes. I wonder if you know anything about that. Excuse me. <laughs> I invented raised beds, young man. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, first of all, what, would you like to grow? Well, I, I'd love to, and my wife and I, uh, we agree on that um, nut trees would be lovely. Um, there's a lot of black walnuts there, um, but um, maybe maybe different nut trees and fruit trees uh, would be nice. You really want to start uh, also, at the- you really want to start at the top, don't you? This is, you know, <laughs> you want to go straight to college without kindergarten. Well, we tend to do that actually to ourselves quite a bit. So okay. That doesn't surprise me. Okay. Um, my first bit of advice is to uh, be in touch with your county, local county extension agent. That person could become your best friend. Um, they are there to help small farmers like you and would probably come out and evaluate the land and give you a list of crops that should do well for you on that, I believe you said four acres. Now, have you ever farmed as opposed to gardened? No. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and again, yeah, that, that's that's probably along the lines of uh, when you, you mentioned going to college before kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, we would try to start small. Uh, uh, but no, I, I haven't actually farmed. Okay. Have you gardened? Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've had a raised bed for um, four years now. We've moved around, but I, I make sure that we always have either container gardening or uh, a raised bed. Okay. Yeah, there is nothing uh, like, there is nothing alike in gardening and farming other than maybe the names of the plants. Um, I know a lot of farmers, and small-scale farming um, can be done, can be done profitably, Um, But you have no room for error, really. Um, You say, where in the Virginia mountain? West Virginia or Virginia? It's right on the border of West Virginia outside of uh, 
Lewisburg and White Sulphur Springs okay. um, near Covington and on the I-64 corridor there. Okay. It's about 1,800 feet altitude. Okay. Um, and the, and I've, I've looked at the, the soil or, or the, um, uh, yeah, I guess the, like the soil sheets, the state soil sheets, and they mm-hmm. say that, you know, they, they pretty much say it's not suitable for farming. Right. Um, I would get personally acquainted with your local extension agent, and they can tell you what succeeds in that area. Because it's one thing um, to be a successful farmer, but that's just the beginning. Then you have to be a successful salesman, uh, a successful marketer. Um, the only farmer. It's a business. It's not just. The business is. A, a, what was the great uh, Yogi Berra quote? Um, 90% of the game is mental uh, and the other half is physical. But, you know, in some yeah. ways, 90% of farming is having a way to sell the crops that are guaranteed. Most farmers sell their crops before they plant them. They want to make sure there's going to be a good market for them. And with you being newbies, um, what, uh, you know, you have, um, and, and you're going to live there full time, right? You can't do this over the phone. Sure, ideally, yes. Uh, the first thing I'm thinking of is chickens, because um, there's always a market for free-range eggs. But then again, you have to learn how to chicken farm. You have to protect the birds from predators like hawks. Um, cattle require a lot of attention, tremendous amount of attention. Um, and, you know, environmentally, they're not the most popular beasts to have around. But if you have the grassland, that might work out for you. But another suggestion I'm going to make is you intern at one of those local farms. Spend a summer learning, helping, and drink a big cup of reality every morning. That said, and your extension agent can contradict me, but I see a tremendous market in corn and soybeans that are not genetically modified. Over 90% of the corn and soybeans in the United States are, quote, Roundup ready. They are bred to absorb massive amounts of herbicide without being harmed. So there is a huge need for non-GMO corn and soybeans. Um, and they're crops that really don't require a massive amount of daily uh, attention. If you could learn to grow those and have a successful harvest, um, it would be, to me, very easy to find a buyer, especially, as you say, if you're on a big interstate. But... Um, you know, if you're talking about truck patch farming, it, it may beyond, be beyond your scope. But if you want a home garden, you know, tomatoes, peppers, cukes, all that kind of stuff for you, I would urge you to take a look at hoop houses. Um, these are large, some people call them grow tunnels. These are large enough to take a tractor inside of. Uh, but they are protected from the cold and the rain and the snow and everything like that. Um, 
very difficult for serious predators to get inside them. And now you're talking about what is essentially a raised bed on a large scale. And I will tell you that here in Pennsylvania, um, the government uh, gives grants to people, uh, farmers who want to start hoop houses. So I believe my friends George and Melanie out at their Pheasant Hill farm, they got five grand towards the construction of a big hoop house. And George grows nothing in the ground anymore. Um, you know, just some just some sweet corn for the family and flowers for Melanie's arrangements. But controlling the atmosphere um, can help you succeed. It'll also keep you on a scale that is doable. But again, of all, you know, nobody nobody's buying tomatoes in the summertime. They all got their own. Nobody's buying peppers in the summertime. They're all being uh, large scale farmed. But if you were to grow not only regular corn, not genetically modified, but maybe an heirloom corn, something that's highly valued by food processors. There's a book we discussed on the air a few years ago called Harvest. And the author traveled around to different farms at harvest time. And he describes in depth how this one family is keeping a very valuable heirloom corn going and describes the difficulties in harvesting. You know, you need storage and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, small scale, um, no chemicals, no GMO and a special heirloom variety, you've got how many brands there? You've got like four brands tipping over onto each other. So grow what you are assured you can sell. And as you even said yourself, you got to start slow. Okay? There's a, uh, so, there's so, a glass of cold water um, in your face. So it'll be good for you. <laughs> well, I, I, I knew that was coming, Mike, and I appreciate it. Uh, that's why I called you. And um, uh, do you do you have anything to say about like um, things that naturally grow on the land um, that we find there growing um, out of nature, like blueberries and raspberries, which and these other like parson berries that I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Lots of different berries coming out of the woods. I mean, it, cultivating a, na- a a natural you know plant that is already happy there is that is there something to be said about that? Oh yeah, I mean. You can pick your breakfast every day, but you're talking about berries that are mostly grown by large conglomerates that control the shipping and the packaging, and you're never going to make any money with a roadside stand. I mean, if there's a farmer's (laughs) market nearby that you could get into as as a producer— then we would test your ability as a salesman. But, yeah, I mean, I harvest five different kind of wild berries. Although in your part of the world, I've never heard of wild blueberries. Um, they're much, in the, much more in the far north than their ground-level plants uh, with very small— Well, that's, that's what I think we found. I mean, yeah. we, we, ate the, we ate all of them, but uh, they were ground level, and they looked just like a blueberry. They were at the tops of the mountains. 
Okay. Totally right, where where the climate would be similar. Yeah, um, and my only advice to some situation like that is weed around them. Don't try to move them. Just, you know, get a weed whacker, get up there, you know, a rechargeable one, and constantly, you know, cut down the weeds around them, and that will allow them to flourish, and also the, the weed-eaten material uh, will feed them. So... Okay. That's for starters. Um, we wish you luck. Stay in touch. Um, and when you hit a roadblock, you know, turn around. Don't drown. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Mike. I really appreciate your help. All right. Good luck, sir. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's time for me to take a little break and announce that the Rutgers Home Gardener School will be virtual this year, with yours truly delivering the keynote address woo, and hosting a workshop on why bending is for chumps. It's all on Saturday, February 26th. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet because we'll be back with more tips on successful seed starting and more of your successful phone calls. I'm successful Mike McGrath, and you're listening to a brand new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Public Media Center 
at PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. This is 91.3 FM WLVR Bethlehem, online at WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Public Media Center at PBS 39. They keep changing the name on me. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, who has never changed his name. Uh, And we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll be getting to the question of the week where I will urge you to inundate your seed-starting sprouts with bright light. You'll get the best-looking starts you've ever had. Before that, though, a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Carol, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. Where are you? I am in Croydon, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's a little town in Bush County. Oh, okay. You're in, you're in Pennsylvania. Correct. Okay. All right. Go ahead. I have an apple tree that was the first tree I I planted when we bought the house. I've been here 29 years. Mm. When I bought the tree, they're supposed to be done, a small tree, and it's supposed to have four kinds of apple. Okay, the tree is 29 years old. The the first year I had a few apples. The second year I had all the four kinds of apple. That was the end. Now... The tree is very big, and I have only green apple, but they are very, very, very sweet. But the apple, they have a lot of black spot and a lot of, like, a disease. Wait a minute. Does the black wash off? Yes. They are very, very sweet. I mean, everybody loves the apple. They are sweet, but we have to throw away a lot of because they have, like, a disease. No, it's not a disease. it's, and what is it? It's bug poop. It, oh. It's called frass or honeydew, and you probably have aphids. Um, and the aphids are feeding on the leaves of the tree. And they're, uh-huh. they're, yeah, because sometimes the leaves they have like a yellow spot. Mm-hmm. So um, you should have been pruning the tree every year to keep it under control. Well, I did. I did the last the year before. Um, last year, I had a lot of apple, but only the green and the Macintosh in the other side. But we couldn't get that many of the Macintosh. But this year, I called an arborist. Right. And he told me that he was going to prune it and treat the apple tree. I don't know about the treating, because I said to him, did you have anything organic? And he said, no, we don't have nothing organic. But I have scheduled him to prune the tree. He said, I'm going to prune it to produce apple, and we're going to prune it every year yes. to get the, the, the tree going. Yes. But my question is, I treat the, 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 the tree, I treat it with the chemical, 
or, or just the prune will help. The prune? Because we love the apple. The apple are very, very I got sweet. You. The little one we can get. I know, I know. So here's the deal. The pruning will help tremendously. If he's, mm -hmm. a, if he's a good arborist, he'll open the tree up and yes. improve the airflow. And then yes. if you want something to protect the apples while the tree is growing, there mm -hmm. is a product called Surround. Uh, you can get it from Gardens Alive. And you can mail order it. It'll be here in time. It's a clay spray. It's very, okay. it's very fine particles of clay. So when you spray the tree with it, the tree will look uh, a little funny because it'll, it'll look like a flocked Christmas tree. But uh -huh. it will prevent insects from touching the leaves or the fruits. And, okay. and if you want bigger fruits, you should be removing some when they're the size of a marble. But it doesn't need any kind of chemical treatment. Yearly pruning uh -huh. is exactly correct. And the, yeah. and the surround clay spray should keep your bugs under control. You don't have any disease as far as I can tell. Yeah, uh, the, the tree is beautiful, beautiful tree. Um, some people, they said, you have to get rid of And I said, no, I don't want to get rid of Get rid of what? And the apple are delicious, delicious, sweetest. Okay. All right, good. Okay, so I, I have this guy. He is scheduled to come on the spring. Right. He's a, a good arborist. I got three people, and he was the best, the way okay. he explained it. But uh, the only concern is he said he can treat the, the apple tree by the roof. Just have him prune. And okay. if you can order the surround or find it in your garden center, have him uh -huh. use it, or you can spray it yourself. You can buy a sprayer. It's not that big a deal. And all you do uh -huh. is spray this natural substance on the tree, and all will be well. Okay? Okay. okay. You'll be a lot of help. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Just once in a decade, in a lifetime maybe, the world of entertainment is disrupted and utterly elated by something entirely new. Good Lord! It could be the script, the presentation, the players, or a combination of all three that team together to transform the ordinary into the original, to emerge with something completely different. And now for something completely different. a dark time in the universe for the rebellious tomato and pepper seeds that have recently sprouted with so much enthusiasm. The evil Darth Damping Off is sending thousands of tiny probes into the minds of the tiny sprouts caretakers, urging them to overwater. Even worse, these sprouts appear to be locked in a stygian darkness from which they cannot possibly escape. 
All seems lost for these gallant sprouts, trapped in the cold and darkness of a world that chillingly resembles the ice planet Hoth, with nary a Wookiee in sight. Then suddenly, out of the skies, a weirdly shaped ship appears and draws close. From out of the craft, a loud but reassuring voice resonates. <laughs> they need light, you dummies. Bright light. A new hope. Anyway, if you had followed our last two thrilling episodes, you now have sprouts up, plastic tops removed, and bottom heat off, unless you are trying to start your seeds in a cold dungeon, then keep the heating mats on. The only thing now missing is bright light. And no, your so-called sunny windowsill does not count, not even to one. It is winter. There are few hours of sunlight to begin with. And that sunlight is in an extreme angle that is not conducive to photosynthesis. Everybody out there who enjoys driving into the sun in winter, raise your hands. Does anybody have their hands up? I can't tell because I am sun glare and snow blind. Bright light. What used to seem like a royal pain in the shop light is now ridiculously easy to achieve. Sure, you can continue to use your old fluorescent fixtures. A two-tube shop light for a small batch of seedlings and a four-tube fixture for a good-sized batch. If you follow the rules. Tomatoes are going to grow faster and taller than your other starts, so plan for that. Peppers and eggplants will not put on nearly as much height, so start out with them up on several layers of books, bricks, blocks of wood, anything that can be removed one by one as the starts grow large, which they're not really going to much in 60 days. If you want lots of peppers, start those seeds 90 days ahead of your desired planting time instead of the traditional 60 days and keep them in the brightest light where no evil will escape your sight. Existing fluorescent fixtures should be fitted with new bulbs as the lumens of light the bulbs emit diminishes greatly over the years much like many of us. Basic rules. Peppers go in the center of the light array, placed as high as possible. Slightly touching the bulbs is better than an inch away. Same with eggplant, especially the Asian varieties. <sighs> then come the blessed tomatoes. Read seed package descriptions carefully. Over the past couple of years, true dwarf or bush-style tomatoes have become a real thing, including my new and forever favorite Tasmanian chocolate. Incredibly flavorful, dark purple, full-size fruits that grow on four to five-foot vines that are more like stalks and require minimal support. You can get those seeds from Renee's Garden. And Teller McGrath sent you because I owe her money. But other varieties, especially most of the cherished heirlooms, are indeterminate, meaning they grow big, fast, and act like real vines. The smart money says to start these on a brick or two 
while your peppers are up on five or six bricks. Strategic removal of these supports can then be used to keep all of the plants equal distance from the lights or close enough. Remember, tops of plants almost touching the tubes is great. Three inches below the tubes is as useless as a Lone Ranger holster without the cap gun. Now, turn off all the other lights except the plant lights. Is every plant getting strong light? Be honest. If the answer is no, lose some of the plants or add some lights. But feel free to start a first run of lettuce and peas on the outskirts because they'll go outside much sooner. Now, what about LEDs? Yes! I just did a quick search and found a dizzying array of LED shop lights many of which look super cool and futuristic, and they seem to deliver about 20% more lumens than similar fluorescence. Now, that's an educated guess. Don't quote me, but I think I'm close. And, of course, LEDs are even cheaper than fluorescence to run. I won't be giving up entirely on my shop lights yet, as I have dozens of fresh tubes in the basement. But everything from that package will go into storage soon. Wait a minute. The basement is storage. Then there's a new kid in town. Introduced via TV infomercials a few years back, these multi-winged LED arrays were first promoted as, quote, garage lights. But their simple design a standard Edison-style base that screws into a standard light socket makes them easy to use and easy to move around. Attach them to a, quote, trouble light, which is an extension cord with a light socket at one end, and you can move them around willy-nilly, up and down, over this way, over that way. I've been using these deformable lights for two years now, and they are great for seed starting and providing light for overwintering plants. Seems the Jedi have struck back. Well, that sure was an intensive look at seed starting now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over in detail at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be. Ow, that hurt. You bet your garden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Garden uh, at the Gardens Alive website. Medic, medic, man down. Yikes. My producer is threatening to shut the light if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime. Yes, you can. At 888-492-9444. Or send us your email. You're tired. You're poor. You're wretched refuse of questions teeming towards our garden shore. At YBYG at WLVT.org. Please include your location, or we will turn your email address over to Spam R Us. You'll find all of this contact information at our website. What is that again? YouBetYourGarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to all your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, and our priceless podcasts. 
Binge on those, cats and kittens. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly from the Public Media Center at PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he was abducted by a flying saucer and replaced with an exact duplicate. Except for the toes. Apparently, the aliens don't know from toes. Our musical director is my brother by another mother, Ken Queter. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. And our engineer is Cheerly. Cheerly? No, he's not a cheerleader. Cheerful, Charlie Sarah. I don't even want to see that. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and stay current with what's happening with the show at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Teresa Radke is our profound producer of Priceless Production. The lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Zach the Tacquisneski, it says here he's in the house. I haven't seen him. Lord knows where he is. But I have seen Jacob Morris and the rest of our wonderful gang of idiots. Our beloved CEO Tim Fallon would have stayed on the air longer with me last week. But come on, everybody, all together now. He was late for a meeting. Am I alone in here? I'm your sick of snow host, Mike McGrath, and I'll keep shoveling until I can see you again next week. Winter's making me goofy. WLVR.org. Have you been following our thrilling series on successful seed starting? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we will continue your education with precise instructions on feeding and watering without killing your plants. Plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden. Uh-huh.